Listen to the highly anticipated 100th episode of Tank and Jay Valentine's R&B Money Podcast with artist Chris Brown. Even working with you from Carrie Hilson, Adonis. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, I was 15, 14 doing that album. So like I said, I was in school like, yeah. okay, this is how you do it. This is how you make a song. There's a verse, a pre-chorus, and then a hook. I didn't know none of that. You learned I, that over a summer, bro. That's what I, it felt like. That's what it felt like. Listen to R&B Money on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the latest edition of 100, the Ed Gordon Podcast. Today, a conversation with singer-songwriter Kemp. Since his 2001 debut album, Chemistry, the Detroit-raised singer has become one of the biggest names in R&B. After two decades, he's gained platinum and gold albums. His classic songs include Love Calls, Share My Life, and Why Would You Stay? They're all staples on Quiet Storm Radio. The singer continues to give his legions of loyal fans what they want. He's just released a new single and is about to embark on a national tour with Babyface. So you're getting back out there, man. It's been a minute since you've toured a full tour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think our our last tour was, uh, the last time I was on the road was with with, uh, Uncle Charlie, right? And I think I did another stint on my own after that, but we haven't been on a bona fide tour since probably 2015. You you miss it because it, it can uh, be I'll, people think it's glamorous, but it's it, <laughs> a full tour is work. It's a lot of work, um, but I do enjoy being on the road. Uh, I like being on the being on the bus. I like uh, you know staring out the windows and and. Um, uh, you know, meeting the people, going out to see, mm-hmm. you know, the people who've shown us so much love over the years, you know, connecting with my fans, you know, personally. Uh, so I dig it. Yeah, it's worked, but I, but I, but I dig it. I dig it. What's that been for you to have the connection with fans that you have had now for two decades? You know, some people have hit records, but there's no real emotional connection to fans. They just like the groove. They like the music they like, but there's no real, but you know, I've known you now for a long time and been to many of your concerts. There's a true connection for you. Yeah. My fans are, uh, you know, devoted, you know, and, um, and I, and I don't take them for granted. And, uh, you know, that energy that happens on stage is a, is a dialogue. It's not a monologue. You know, we're feeding Mm -hmm. off of each other. We're, we're serving, we're serving each other. You know, and um, so my, my my fans are really, really near and dear to my heart. So you got my girl, uh, Sherry Shepard, on the show yes. with you, a, a sweet lady. Uh, and, and you were touring with someone who uh, is a bona fide superstar. And I don't mean just by by virtue of performance. I mean, I tell Jam and Lewis and in this case, Face and, and L.A. and Face even after their uh, division. Um, that he really is going to be one of those people who, who, you know, along with Rogers and Hammerstein and all those old school writers, when you talk about great music of the 20 and 21st century, he's in there. What's that like for you? It's, it's incredible, you know, and it's, uh, it's, um, 
uh, and it's something that you approach with humility, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, you know, he's a friend and he's also, uh, a mentor, you know? Um, and you know, that body of work is like, is like really incredible. And I tell him that, you know, when I, I watch, uh, I watch, um, I don't know if you've seen there's the, you know, PBS will do these things or there's this, uh, what's the, what's the producer? David Foster will be up there at the, you know, at the piano. And of course, you know, he's a, a legendary producer as well. Right. And rightly so. And he's sitting at the piano and he's got all these people coming out and singing his songs and, you know, and it's on, it's on PBS. And, and uh, one of my first conversations with Babyface was the same. I'm like, dude, <laughs> I'm like, you are David Foster. I'm like, right. you're like that. You know what I mean? I mean, right. you, you know, you're that you're going down in the annals and the history books of, of of you know r and b and today we'll say it's r and b but like at the time when he was when he was making those records those records were uh, you know at the top of the billboard 100 mm-hmm. so everybody was listening to those records everybody it wasn't just it wasn't just black folks listening to those records man white folks were listening to to uh to tony braxton and to uh tlc and to you know i mean they were you know right so so it's a really you know it's 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 you know and i you know and I ain't too shabby now. Come on now. But I'm just saying, baby face. <laughs> baby well, face, baby face is, is the man. So humility aside, that was going to be my next question. The idea that, you know, sometimes people co-headline something. But the idea of headlining this show, right, yeah. has to be big for you, uh, I would think. Yeah. Um, what What's that? I mean, it really does. People sometimes don't understand, but that's a stamp of, about who you are. Right. Yeah. And it is. And I, and I, and I, uh, and I try to receive it that way, but, you know, I'm just glad to be able to be on stage. You know, I'm glad to be on stage, glad to have had a, a career that is, that is, you know, spanned, you know, two decades, which is kind of unbelievable in itself. And I'm still making records. You know what I mean? I'm still, I'm still putting records out, you know, I'm still, you know, um, uh, having an impact, you know, on, on the industry and this music that we love. So, uh, you know, that's, that's not something that I take for granted either. Kem is best known for love songs and his latest single continues the tradition of his affinity for a great ballad. I reminded him of what I told him when he released his last project. So when you released the last album, I sent yeah. you a text and said you needed to buy your wife a Christmas present because the muse she was for you. I, I heard something different in that music. It, it's definitely you, but I felt and heard something different in the music and in the writing. And I said, man, I don't know if she's your muse, but if she is, you need to buy her a bigger Christmas present. And um, I'm wondering what that has been for you. I heard you with Sherry Shepard on Wendy Williams talking about, you know, finding a love that you only sang about before. Give me a sense wow. of, of how she has impacted your art. Um, you know, my, my, my wife has been a, uh, represents a seismic shift, you know, in my life, you know, and, it, and my relationship with her has affected every area of my life, uh, personally and, and professionally. Um, yeah. And she's my muse. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, yeah, she better be. <laughs> if she ain't, you better say she is. <laughs> so you write this song about it's about my wife. You know, every song going forward is going to be about my wife. It's dedicated to my wife. Um, 
And uh and and it does add, you know, I was on with uh with Steve uh, a couple of days ago, you know, we, he was talking about how, you know, your how your wife affects your how your relationship can affect your art. And and I guess we all we all know that, but my writing, you know, when I got married, dude, I was one I was I I was wondering how my rate, how my relationship was going to, how my, my, my marriage was going to affect my, my writing, you know, because my writing has always come from a place of longing and a place of desire and a place of, you know, wanting something that I didn't have. It's like, okay, well now you got it. Now what you got to do? Right. You know what I mean? It's like, okay. You know? Um, and I was, I was, you know, I was, I was worried about it. Uh, but it really has informed the writing in an entirely different way and in a way and in a way that I can't even explain that I'm not even conscious of. You know, I'm still sitting down here, you know, in this room. If I turn this camera around, I'm, you know, my keyboard's right there. You know, mm-hmm. so I'm sitting here writing and 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 feel as engaged with my writing, you know, and you know, I'm I'm more, as engaged as I've ever been, you know, if not more so. So it's uh so it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, she got a yeah, she got a Christmas present. Coming. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you about the emotional connection to song. I, I remember talking to Anita Baker once, and I asked her about performance of song for the recording, not live, but for the recording. Yeah. And I, it's interesting to me because singers have different answers for this. Some say, if I say, did you have to live it to give us that emotion, that performance? Some people will say, yes, you know, I tapped an emotion I lived in. And others say, no, you know, I got the words. It's a job. I went in and performed it like an actor would. Uh, for yeah. you, what is it? I think it can, it can be a combination. And it has been a combination of all of those things. You know, um, it is a, it's a combination of all of those things. You know, some of it is, is part of my, I'm drawing from my own experience, uh, and some of it is, you know, some of it is fact, some of it is fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, but the emotion behind it, bringing the, I know what the, I guess you intuitively know what the, what the emotion behind the words that you're saying and the, mel- the melody that you're, that you're, that you're singing and the words that you're singing, you, you, you intuitively know what that emotion is, mm-hmm. you know, and I guess, and I guess ultimately that's based on our own longings and our own desires. But, uh, you know, you sing it like, you know, you know, you, you show up and sing. You know that the song, the song, the song, the song is the one that's driving the bus, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. The song is the thing that's driving the bus, right? We serve, we serve the song, you know, so whatever. So I'm trying to give the song whatever it requires, whatever it requires, regardless of, you know, how I may feel, because I may have the love of a lifetime, but we may not be feeling it that day. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I still got to go in, right? So the, so I'm serving, I'm serving the song, you know, the song dictates what, what you're putting into it. And, it, and you know, whether it's, whether you're in, on, on stage or whether it's a recording, you know, whether you're showing up for it or not. You know, um, you know, if, whether you're showing it, you know, you know, whether you're connecting those dots or not, because you know what that song, you know what that song requires as an you, artist. As a writer, have you ever suffered what many do and writer's block? Have you ever gone in to oh, yeah. put material yeah, yeah, down yeah. and can't find yeah, it? Yeah. Can't find nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have. I have. Um, and I think that. Uh, 
you know, the solution, I don't know that, you know, the solution to that is to keep sitting down at the keyboard for mm-hmm. me, you know, is to show up because I, I can, you know, it'll trick me. Having writer's block will trick me from showing up. Well, I'm not even going to go downstairs today, you know, but when really that's what it is, you know, and probably the reason I have writer's block is because I've gone a certain amount of time without coming down and touching Mm-hmm. You know, and just touching the keys, whether I create a hit when I, I don't need to create a hit every time I sit down, you know, I need to sit down. If that makes sense. It does make sense, but I'm wondering, you won't always create a hit. Do you go down with the intention to create a hit or is it just to go down with the intention to make a song? I go down with the intention to make a great song, mm-hmm. you know? And and I, I go down with the intention of making a great song, the outcome of which, you know, whether it's, you know, a number one record or whether it goes to to radio, you know, is is. Is not um, at the forefront of my mind, right. I, I do know which songs are going to radio. I do know which ones are a hit. Right. Um, and when I do say you? hit. Right. Though, so here you go. Because all my, because all of, you know, everything, every song is not meant to be a hit. Right. You know what I'm saying? And I some mean, of the and, greatest and when songs I say ever hit, weren't hit. hit. Is a relative, right. And hit is a relative term, right. right? When we say hit, we mean. Chart. A hit is going to the radio and it's going to be a number one record on the charts and, and everybody's going to hear it. But that, you know, a song not going to, a song not going on the radio, a song not being a hit doesn't mean it's not a great song. Right. You know, all of my songs are great. I consider all of my songs to be great songs. You know, there are only a handful of them. Well, actually to date, seven of them (laughs) right now that are, you know, that are, you know, that have had radio and, 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 and chart success. And, and that's what we, and that's what I expected with those songs, you know, Um, and having it not be on the, and having it not do well at radio doesn't mean that it's not a hit with the audience, right? Because Share My Life is one of my biggest records, but it didn't perform. It didn't, it never, it was never a number one record. But Share My Life, dude, I buy you, right? If I don't sing Share My Life, <laughs> right, right. You'll be carrying me out of there. Right. Right. And we get Share lost in that. We get lost right. in numbers because there are many number one songs that were not great songs. Right. And there right. are great songs, to your point, that never made the charts and were never released. Uh, but right. found an audience and have lived on for generations. Right, right, yeah. right. Um, let's talk about the new single, Stuck On You. Baby, your love is so amazing. It drives me crazy. Baby, I'm stuck on you. Maybe it's just the title, but I could hear a little bit of Lionel Richie stuck on you. Um, weaved in there am i making that up was is there something in there uh and tell me how you you went about writing that one um i I don't think uh you know i was i was very conscious of the fact that okay dude you know now now you know Lionel richie's got a song called Mm -hmm. stuck on you you know and uh um but i wasn't deterred by that but i think i think that connection that Lionel richie connection is uh is one because you know, I, I I grew up on those songs. I think that my my writing is influenced by those songs, um, uh, and and I also think that musically, 
right? There's like, there's almost kind of a country thing going on with stuck on you. There's a country thing that's going on. And you also hear that with, uh, with, with, with Lionel Richie as well. Um, and, uh, and I actually, I think I started, I started writing the song and I was going to try to pitch it to, uh, to another artist. And then, you know, I, um, I realized it was a hit. <laughs> no, that's not true. That's not true, right? Because you want to give, if you're writing for somebody, you want to give them a hit too. You don't want to give them something that you don't think will do well. So I'm just, I'm just joking when I say that. But, uh, but we had uh, strategically, you know, we wanted to release an album, release new music at the top of the top of this year. And so when I completed that song, <clears throat> you know, and I also wanted to, when I completed that song, it was also important to me to come back with a ballad, you know, to come mm -hmm. back with a chem record, you know, on the on the on the cusp of, of Valentine's Day. You know, um, it was important for me to, you know, let people know that, yeah, I still I still do this. You know, I still write mm -hmm. I still write write these songs, you know, these these beautiful ballads. So um, Stuck on You is 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 is, you know. Will go down in the in the in the chemistry hall of fame is one of my favorite songs. There is a Kim sound, but I, what I love about what you do, you know, some people have a sound and it's their sound. Every record, every sound, they can still have many hits off that sound. But right. you keep Kim sound. But as I said to you last project, there's a there's a song that I feel like okay, that's your Prince influence. You know, right. I could hear that. Uh, and in this one, as I said, I didn't think it was necessarily a conscious effort to marry Stuck on You with Lionel Richie with the title. But I could hear a country flavor in there just like I could with Stuck on yeah. You. Um, are you consciously saying I want to get the the country side of me in this? I want to get the rock side of me in this? Or do, are you just going to make a song and it travels on its own? The songs write the songs write themselves. Yeah, you know, I serve I serve this wherever the song takes me. That's where I go, you know. And but the but of course, I mean, they're all influenced. They're all influenced by, you know, you hear my inf you hear the music that has influenced me in all of my on all of my records. You hear that, you know, and uh, and and rightly so. You know, I'm also trying to keep uh, keep this this brand of of black music, this bland, this brand of, of R and B I'm, you know, I'm carrying the torch for that, you yeah. know? Um, and, uh, along with, along with other people, you know, but I, you know, I'm trying, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do, do my part to, to, uh, to keep, uh, this music, keep that nostalgia, you know, alive. I try not to be the old guy who only loves his, brand of music, his era of music, right? I try to give the idea that when I was coming up, I could appreciate Nat King Cole or Brooke Benton or the people my mother loved, but it right. wasn't my music. Right. You know, I liked it, but it wasn't my music. And so it's the same thing for me when I hear people say, oh, you know, they don't make music like they used to. Well, no, because it was 30 years ago, 50 years ago, 40 years ago. But the idea of keeping the tradition alive and keeping what is good music alive, I think is important. You do see yourself as a, 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 a carrier of the water now. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, but we, you know, 
but I'm also very conscious of, you know, working with, I think one of the things, you know, that, 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 that struck you with the, with the last album, you know, I started working with a producer who, uh, and his name is, uh, Derek, uh, is a DOA, Derek DOA Allen. And, um, who actually has been on the road with, with, with Lionel mm-hmm. and, and with Janet. Um, but I started working with a producer who has his finger on the pulse of what's happening today, right? So was, while it's important for me to have that nostalgia and to, and to carry the water, so to speak, it's also important to, to, to integrate those things in a way that keeps it, that keeps it fresh, you know? So it doesn't sound like, you know, Somebody putting, you know, <laughs> putting out a record that should have been put out 30 years right, ago. Right. You know, right. it's the pub putting it, putting out, you know, it's like taking a Kim song. It's like you're taking a classic Kim song and 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 then you're giving it to someone who is going to produce it in a way, you know, but it starts with the Kim, it, it starts with the Kim record. Right. And then you and then you contemporize it contemporary, whatever that word is. Right. And then you make it contemporary. Right. Was it difficult um, to find that space? No, because I, you know, because I, 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 I realized, you know, I, I'm not cutting records the way that I used to cut them yeah. when I first got to Motown, you know, with the rhythm section, take the guys into the studio and then we sit there and we, you know, and we, and we hash it out. I tried when I, I, I came to a place where I tried to do that and I listened back to it and it was like, dude, you can't put this out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, this is not. You know, and there's nothing wrong with it. You know, maybe we'll go back to it. You know, we'll see, you know, what happens. But it's like, I'm looking at, you know, listening to what's out there right now in any, in any given, at any given time. And, and comparatively speaking, it's like sonically, you want your music to sound, you want it to be competitive, you know, and um, it should sound different when it comes on, you know. My song should sound different than everybody else's song, but at the same time, it shouldn't sound so different that that right. that is that is that is it seems like it's antiquated, you know. So it's important to have that. So I'm I'm trying to I'm, again I'm serving the song, I'm serving yeah. the music. You know what's gonna make this work? When we come back, come on, fatherhood, faith, and two decades of hits. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. 
you'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. With the release of his new single, Stuck on You, and his full circle tour, Kim is marking 20 years in music. When you think about now two decades of a career, uh, does it feel like two decades? Does it feel like you started yesterday? What's what's your feeling? Or does it change on any given day? Um, it's it's it doesn't feel like it's been it doesn't feel like it's been 20 years, mm-hmm. you know, but I, I you know, I, I but I, of course, I know that it's been it's been 20 years and I, and I, and I look back over that time and think about, uh, the music that I've made and, and, you know, evaluate some of the, some of the decisions that I've made, you know, professionally and what I have, you know, it's been this long It's 20 years already. You know, I could have did X or I should I have done the X or I could have did this, this way, or I could have, you know what I mean? But, but, um, you know, it's, and then when the, when, uh, you know, you get a, uh, a 30 year old or a 27 year old, you know, come up to you and say, you know, I grew up listening to you, <laughs> yeah. you know, and then do and do the math and realize that, yeah, you really did. You know, you really yeah. did. You know, if you're 20, 25 years old, when my first record came out, you were five, <laughs> you know? Um, so it's, I'm, I'm grateful, you know, that, uh, that I've had uh, a career that is, that has spanned this long and even more grateful dude, that I'm still, you know, that I'm still, I'm still making records, man. So I, you know, I can't be mad at that. Your first album, Chemistry, which the first iteration of it, you bet on yourself. Yeah. You you didn't have a record contract. You financed to a great degree, putting that first album out in terms of recording it and then kind of pushing it yourself. And uh, give Tell us about the idea of believing in yourself enough to do that, because I think that's what stops so many people. The fear of sometimes betting on yourself, not having a machine behind you, not having somebody else hold your hand and walk you through the door. Yeah, I didn't, um, you know, I, I didn't see it as a I didn't see it as a bet. I saw it as I didn't have any other options. You know, I well, that's not true. That's not true. I always felt that, um, you know, I started to think that the, that like the only way that I was ever going to make a mark in the world was if I had a record deal, you know, if I was ever going to die, you know, I had a GI Joe Kung Fu grip on a career, (laughs) on a career, on this idea of a career in the music business. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, things started to shift for me when like in the, in the late, in the late nineties, I, I realized that, you know, I could do some other things, you know, like it doesn't have to be music, man. You can do some other things. You can still make music, you know, but you, you know, 
you can start looking at some other things. And I opened myself up to the idea of doing other things. And I pursued some other things and I failed at those things miserably, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but it was just, but the, the music thing just would not, you know, it just would not go away, you know? And so I don't know that I saw it as, I didn't see it as a bet. It was just like, dude, this is what you, this is, you know, this is what you got to do. You know, this is just something that we're going to do. We're going to try this, you know, and see, you know, and see, uh, and see what happens. And, uh, um, you know, and, and we pressed up the, you know, my former manager, you know, Toya, Toya, we, mm-hmm. you know, pressed up those records, man, and, and put them out in the streets and put them in the hands of people. And, uh, you know, and the rest and the rest is history, you know. So my connection that goes, you know, that's full circle to to my connection with my fans, dude. It's like because the fan, the people drove that record. The people drove that uh that album, you know, because we didn't have a record deal. You know, we you know, we ended up on the radio before we had a record deal, but it, it what 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 got the ball rolling was mm-hmm. people. My fan, you know, people who love the music, you know, they were just buying this record, you know, and uh you know, we haven't looked back. So I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful for that. Let me ask you about um, where we sit as a world today. Um, you know, you, you have, again, I think this is a side of your life that a, a, many of your fans certainly know that you came through some hard times um, to get where you are today. Um, yeah. As someone who literally lived through hard times, um, with addiction and homelessness and other things that you you battled, how do you? What would you give to people to try to make it through? There's so many. You know, I think about the numbers of suicides we're seeing. You yeah. know, over the course of the last uh, year or so, I think about you know uh, people and, and and jobs and finances and all that. What would you give them as a bit of advice to find their way through? Um, you know, this is a big question. And somebody, you know, and before we came on today, someone else asked me that question. It kind of caught me off guard. It's like, dude, because, you know, I make no qualms about talking about about my faith, but, you know, it gets sticky (laughs) when you're trying to tell some other people what to do, you Mm -hmm. know, Um, and, you know, you go, you go, you scroll through your, uh, your timeline on any of your social media thing, you know, there's a spiritual guru on the, <laughs> <laughs> right. Everybody's got to, right. This is what you should do. And That's you should, true. you know, and yeah, and this is this, you got to do this and don't let people, you know, and everybody's got to, everybody's got a thing. Everybody's got to where everybody's coming at you with a word, you know? Um, and, you know, so, 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 so it's tough, you know, uh, but what I would say is, is that if you are not a person of faith, to, 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 to crack that, to crack that door open, you know, just open it up a little bit, Mm -hmm. you know, just open it. Just just, if you're a, a person of faith who's experiencing the tragedy of these times that we're living in right now. If you're not a person of faith, you know, crack that door open a little bit. You know, maybe there, maybe there's, you know, maybe there's, maybe there's something there, you know. Um, if you are a person of faith, then, you know, that's what we, that's what we need to be leaning on, 
right? The, the, the devil, if you believe in those things, the devil's biggest trick <laughs> is trying to get you to believe that, 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 that you are separated, you know, from, from God, that you're, that you're separated from the good in the world. And that's nothing could be further, further from the truth. But we take, you know, I'm speaking, I speak for myself, but I, I can take my eyes off of that. You know, and, you know, am I waking up in the morning and um, and uh, having a time of devotion, having a time of reflection, having a time of meditation? Or am I waking up in the morning looking at CNN or Fox News and scrolling my Instagram feed and looking at Facebook and all of the fear that is being mm-hmm. uh, projected into our lives? What am I what am I feeding on? You know, um, and. You know, and take a, and take a step back. Look, because I'm telling you, dude, and I and I know things are tough, but I can sit in here, man, and I can watch CNN and I can read some things on social media, man, and I will be outside, you know, in the streets, armed, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like the most. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, oh my god, right? But it ain't. But that, you know, what the way that is, the way that it has affected me internally is not what's happening outside when I go to Publix. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. Right. It's like, no, right. dude, just, you know, wait a minute. It's not, you know what I'm saying? Walk in the store, all the toilet paper is gone. And like, well, okay, well, I got now, now I'm on a hunt for the next three weeks for toilet paper. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> right. So, you know, what I would say is be my is be mindful. You know, be mindful of your internal space, what's going on internal. Be mindful of that. Pay attention to that. Um, not feed into the fear. And there's plenty, there's plenty, there's plenty to, to see and be afraid of, you know, and, uh, faith is not, faith is not a denial that it's not a denial that things are, uh, that things are difficult in the world. It's not a denial of that. It's a recognition of that and choosing to show up in a way that serves yourself, that really serves yourself and serves and serves humanity. You know, uh, I have to lean on my faith, dude. I don't know how people don't. I don't know. I, I, you know, I don't know what I would do without that. Mm-hmm. You know, if I don't have that, then what, you know, then what am I doing? You know, um, you know, now I got to be out here. <laughs> right now I got to, right. I don't have my faith. Now I got to be out here armed and like, on. you know, dog eat dog and it's, right. you know, I mean, you know, um, you know, and, and if I come to the end of my days and this whole faith and God thing has turned out to be a farce, <laughs> I will still have lived better mm-hmm. believing and practicing those things than I would have if I had not been doing so. The singer's success is even more impressive considering what came before. Prior to stardom, he had been addicted to drugs and alcohol and even homeless for a time. Kim has never shied away from this chapter of his life. From the start of his career, he shared this narrative with the media. I remember talking to Natalie Cole in an interview and asking her whether there was a time in her life that she got tired of interviewers asking her about the years she struggled if ever there was a time that she wanted to not necessarily leave it behind for her 
but let that chapter be closed that we don't have to talk about it every time something is brought up. What about for you? I don't have, I don't, I don't, I don't have a, I don't have a problem with it. You know, uh, I think that, you know, and you know, it's just for me. I mean, it's, uh, you know, people handle it the way that, that they need to handle it for themselves. But, you know, I think that it's important. The only time that it get that, it, that, it, that, uh, the only time that is that it's problematic is when I don't have, you know, I don't have time. We don't really have time for me to go into this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, you're on the, you know, you're on the radio in the morning drive. It's like, dude, yeah. Well, tell us about, tell us about your diet. It's like, dude, right. I, we ain't got time to go into right. that. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, so, you know, and, and then, you know, and who's, and who's asking the question. You know, because side time, that's just on people's list to like check off, you know, right. but I don't need to be, I don't need to be, I don't really even need to be concerned about that. You know, it's like you ask and then, you know, and then I tell you what it is, you know, and, uh, and hopefully it helps somebody. Yeah. She said the same. She said, look, it was a part of my life. I'm not afraid to deal with it. You know, there's some days I don't necessarily want to talk about it. Just like, I don't want to talk about anything else. You're asking me on that day. Uh, right. You know, she was just like, no, I don't, I don't really have an issue with that. Um, fatherhood, man, let me ask you about that real quick. Um, big part of your life. Uh, I, I see you with your littlest monster all the time on, uh, you know, on social media and, and, uh, looks like the love of music is, you know, transferring down. What's, what's, um, tell me a little bit about what fatherhood is for you. Um, fatherhood is at this in this season of my life, you know, it's the most challenging and the most rewarding thing that I've mm-hmm. ever done. You know, my kids are, my kids are incredible and they make, and they make me laugh, you know, and, um, mm-hmm. there's something about, you know, and I was a father, I, you know, before I got married and, 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 and was, I had two daughters, you know, between us, Eric and I have six kids and I had two two daughters before she and I were together, but I never lived with them. I was involved in their lives, but mm-hmm. I was not, you know, in the home with them. And, uh, and it's an entirely different, an entirely different experience. Uh, and, um, you know, these little people, man, these little people, they, you know, love you know, unconditional love. They need you, mm-hmm. you know, they want to be around you. Um, and, you know, they bring me, they bring me, uh, they bring me a lot of joy. You know, and, uh, and, and, you know, right. I'm, you know, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm invested, you know, these cats in uh, Christopher, you know, they'll bust in here and I spoil them, you know, <laughs> to my, to my wife's chagrin, mm-hmm. you know, cause I'm of a certain age. Right. So I need you to give him them fruit loops. <laughs> 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 right. Y'all going to have to take that noise outside. Mm-hmm. Whatever he's asking for, give it to him. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh they bring they bring me a lot of joy man and it's and it's really a privilege and i wouldn't have been prepared and i wasn't you know i wasn't you know i wasn't um in a place where i could do this you know yeah. uh years ago so yeah. i'm right where i'm supposed to be yeah. I, I don't think i've ever asked you this um in terms of I've, we've talked about your influences people who've influenced you um yeah. but let me ask you uh finally um do you have a favorite singer? Maybe someone who hadn't necessarily influenced you, but do you have a favorite singer? Uh, 
this answer may change every day. Like if you ask me tomorrow, <laughs> I feel you. I feel you. <laughs> it would change. It could change. But okay, so my favorite, my favorite singer is Rochelle Farrell. Mm. My favorite singer is Rochelle Farrell. You know, and I need to put an APB out on her, man. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, you know, the few, the couple of times that I've, that, that I've, 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 you know, I've, I've done a couple of shows with her and then we did that soul train performance, which there was, you know, um, she, you know, and we, I, we, and we would rehearse for those things, dude. And it's like, I could listen to her sing all day. <laughs> right just her facility dude is just yeah you know is just you know it's 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 crazy dude so yeah that's my answer today there are a lot i'm not talking about and i'm not talking about artists you know it's a different thing or musicians or nothing you just say like my favorite singer right. it would be rochelle Farrell. yeah i mean she is one of those uh who george duke said to me I've worked with a lot of people, but in terms of the things that she can do, yeah, he was like, "I, she's remarkable." Uh, yeah, full exactly. circle is the tour. Yeah. Um, you, Babyface, Sherry Shepherd, uh, you get out there and um, give the people what they want, man. And as always, I've been a fan since day one, brother. And so keep doing what you're doing, and we we appreciate and love uh, the music and you. Thank you. Thank you, Ed. I, I appreciate you, man, and uh, and all the great work that you've done over the years, man. Keep it, keep it going. Thanks again to my man, Kim. His full circle tour with Babyface kicks off March 30th. One Hundred is produced by Ed Gordon Media and distributed by iHeartMedia. Carol Johnson Green and Cherie Weldon are our bookers. Our editor is Lance Patton. Gerald Albright composed and performed our theme. Please join me on Twitter and Instagram at Ed L. Gordon and on Facebook at Ed Gordon Media. Listen to the highly anticipated 100th episode of Tank and Jay Valentine's R&B Money Podcast with artist Chris Brown. Even working with you from Carrie Hilson, Adonis, mm-hmm. back in the day, I was 15, 14 doing that album. So like I said, I was in school like, yeah. okay, this is how you do it. This is how you make a song. There's a verse, a pre-chorus, and then a hook. I didn't know none of that. You learned I, that over a summer, bro. That's what I, it felt like. That's what it felt like. Listen to R&B Money on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.